Hey, thanks for finding our podcast. This is Mason talking. I do the editing and just wanted to give you a heads up about this episode. When we decided to make this show, we kind of just jumped in without much thought for uh, preparation or audio quality. We as a group think the content we created was still good enough to put out in the universe, but we wanted to give you a warning that this episode will be a bit rough around the edges. If that's a concern for you, that's completely fair, and I would recommend skipping to episode 4, What is Engagement? At that point, we took the time to get some upgrades and came in with slightly more of a plan. We also took the time to introduce ourselves in that episode, which we neglected to do here. Don't worry, though, I can introduce us each year, so I will do so now. Uh, my name is David. I'm Trevor. And I'm Mason. Um, what are, what about some, like, abstract ways, um, to roleplay, like, in a general session, um, that people might not initially consider to actually be roleplaying? Like, an example is, is, like, my first thought uh, about that is, um, combat. Like, a lot of people just assume that, that combat and roleplaying are, are different parts of D&D um, but I would make the argument that if you really play your character during combat it can make combat a lot more interesting um, <laughs> yeah I, I wholeheartedly agree a combat's the easiest one to pull out but there's lots of other ones but uh, you know a, a combat example is like you know there's because it's, it's a fine line because obviously like any rational being is going to try and find the most efficient way to win a fight. Mm-hmm. But there are still lines within that, you know. Is it better to go and heal a guy? You know, heal, heal my buddy. Because, like, I, I promised him, or, you know, I'm a paladin, I swore an oath to aid the fallen, and so I'm going to make sure he's up before the fight ends. Because that's my, my character choice. You know, I'm taking mm-hmm. that oath. Or even just, like, you know, I'm, I'm a sneaky rogue, so, yeah, I'm going to try and kill things, but also my whole thing is, like, I am with the party. I like them as friends, but you know my past is like you—you you can't have too close of friends. Everybody gets caught and, and goes to jail or dies at some point. So I'm gonna look out for me and get the easy kills as opposed to trying to help out my buddies or whatever. You know, so the the angle you take to approaching winning the combat can be a form of role playing. Um, other ones can be like out of uh, out of combat decisions. I had one, it just disappeared, so if I remember it, I'll come back to it. <laughs> I, yeah, just just let me know. I'll, I'll pick it up in the meantime. Um, Roleplay inside combat can be the most, some of them can be the most impactful roleplay you'll ever have. Um, simply because it has that added layer of uh, pressure. You know, um, everybody's in the midst of combat, their concentration's elsewhere, but if the party has big problems, um, then inside a combat situation might be where it gets resolved, you know. the heat of moment type thing. Uh, and a, another example would be, well, um, kind of akin to what, what Mason was saying, how your character would tackle that particular combat situation. 
Does your character ever get close to combat, if at all possible? Does your character stay far away? You know, it's all these little decisions could technically be called role playing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I I think even thinking about you know was your character rich or poor growing up? Would that affect mm-hmm. how they use consumable items in combat? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, if you're a lordling who grew up with a silver spoon in your mouth and every time you were training and got a bump, your trainer would give you a healing potion, then <laughs> you might just be downing potions like they're nothing and just assuming, you know, oh, the royal coffers will pay for it, you know. Or, you know, you grew up scrapping it out on the streets and you finally get like a life or death consumable item, you might be very, very hesitant to ever use that mm-hmm. or your character. Um, <clears throat> like the, those are the things that I think can be interesting and can be really cool role-playing opportunities um, that maybe aren't the first things to come to mind. Um, I also think um, like spell descriptions or even just thinking about how, um, if your character is a spellcaster, how do they interact with magic? Um, you know, what's kind of the vibe they have? Are they like a ritual, like tribalistic shaman? Um, you know, are they a goofy style bard that literally sings pop lyrics to cast spells? Are they um, somebody who like has to sacrifice a bit? of their energy and really concentrate to cast spells. Um, what, what beliefs do they have in regards to what magic should be used for? That, um, that, mm-hmm. like, like I've mentioned to you, Trevor, and I think to you, Dave, like, uh, Pitt right now is like a partial caster through his God or whatever. And you know, the, his current belief, uh, as to how that magic should be used, he, he doesn't use it to do, do damage casting spells. Um, partly because he's already like a stat monster as far as raw damage output goes with his weapons and stuff. Yeah. It's not necessary. But also, <laughs> like, it is, I, it genuinely was just like, you know, that that's not something he would do. He wouldn't be like, yeah, I'm going to use this great power to kill things. He's like, I'm already good at that, and that's something I don't necessarily like having to do. So I've been given this power, I'm going to use it to try and do something else. Um, and so w- even what spells they pick, you know, some some classes like wizards often have like a, a favored school of magic or sometimes an unfavored you know mm-hmm. does does that inform you about like kind of their perspectives on magic and, and what they believe about it mm. i i think that would be really dope like starting points uh for role playing like during character oh, yeah. creation to say mm-hmm. um you know it, if you were wanting to do a, a campaign that's really heavy with role play and you're the game master, say, every spellcaster, you need to think of three rules that you grew up learning about casting magic. That's dope. One for when you should, one for when you definitely can't, and one where you, like, it's a gray area. Mm -hmm. So, Um, like, you know, it might be never... You know, if if you went to a combat magic school, it you would learn, put them in the ground to make sure they're not getting back up. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you would overcast and ensure that the enemy is down rather than give them a chance to be revived. Or you might have learned in magic combat school, always go for this target first, you know, and that could totally, totally change how you play that character for the rest of the campaign Uh, versus if you grew up in as a cleric in a monastery, you like stereotypically or might have heard you know only against evil creatures that you can confirm are evil yeah Oof. That's can a... you use offensive magic otherwise you put them to the trial by sword that's very ayas to die um <laughs> like and that, that, that that's something that like kind of defines the whole be like time books Mm-hmm. you know is oh, yeah. that limitation like they're and, and the fact that like they've actually sworn a binding oath and they have to find ways to get around that you know there's there's a scene where they send their warders into a battlefield and they've been ordered not to and they're like our warder has to be in, in danger, danger for us to for cast. us to help at all yeah like you don't understand that mr general dude like you know we can't do the thing you're asking us to do unless we're in the thick of it you know, and, and that's like a very defining moment of the interaction between those two armies as well as, you know, the two factions within the same army. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, that's one thing you always think of, at least I think of when I'm thinking of the Wheel of Time and Magic users, is there are some heavy constraints on those, you know, and, and that's a very impactful thing. Yeah, or even like sh- chivalry, um, yeah. you know, you're, you're the Huge. fighter. You're the Huge. fighter. The magic user puts an enemy to sleep. <laughs> are you going to coup de gras that enemy yeah you know what like that's another thing to think about in combat like is how, that something you're willing to do yeah is that something morally your character is okay with doing because most of us in real life I would be hard pressed to just ice somebody who was asleep in front of me yeah you know oh yeah like like thinking thinking about the actual horror of doing that um versus if you're playing a very cartoony campaign and a very um light-hearted or even action movie-esque campaign where it's like as many bodies as you can stack up um <laughs> yeah is is part of the goal then that's a whole different thing um and then it might be you know if if you're thinking of it from that perspective and everybody's role-playing in that way, you might say, what is the most over-the-top way that I can kill this second-to-last enemy in the fight? Yeah. Um, actually, I, re- I really like this thought space, so can we tweak this question as opposed to like places you might not think to start role-playing? Let's talk about, like, okay, I'm, I've been playing for a bit. We're in kind of a light-hearted, campy D&D campaign or tabletop campaign. This were, you know, that's most people's first one. Um, but I want first and to, second and maybe third because you know, they're fun. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah fun. for sure. You know, we, we've we've been doing it for about a year, and I want to distinguish my character from the other kind of action heroes we've got. We want to kind of consolidate and solidify our identities. So, what are areas we can use to leverage that? Like we've been talking about. Let, let's think about you know if I if I'm an existing character. How can I clarify my identity through roleplay? 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so how does your character deal with resources? Would yeah. be one suggestion. Um, you know that when the party splits up the loot, um, you know loot splitting. I think just needs to be something the group talks about in general and says, how are we going to do this? Is everybody getting an even split? Are we just going to vote on who should get what items or blah, 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 blah. Um, But then once your character has whatever they have been allotted, how do they use that? Yeah. Even in that same vein, like how do you track items? Um, Something I tried with this campaign and I tried differently with the one, other one I'm a player in, um, the the way I as a player track items impacts the way I think about them as a character. Um, for example, it, as Pitt, where he's like very minimalist type person, you know, he, he has uh, Dave's character, Starry, just kind of track all the loot. He doesn't care. He knows that if he needs something, he'll get it. And so as yeah. a player, that, that confines me to think in that point of view of like, I don't actually know what we have access to. Because magic really isn't hasn't always been my favorite. probably probably one of my my favorite things that Mason does with his character Pit, who is a giant ass Minotaur <laughs> bar- barbarian, who like basically wears nothing and just carries weapons and walks around. Barbarian thing. Yeah, he's kind of multiclassing that. And he has these dope ass magic items, but he does not track how many charges are on them. Because his his character doesn't care, or at least doesn't think about it that way. So he'll literally, in combat, go, do I have any charges for that? And then I'll look at my notes and go, yes or no. Uh, Which I think is, is fascinating. It's so funny. It's so funny to have this badass character go to, like, shoot a ray of fire out of something, and then it's just like... And it, it makes me play more like a barbarian because, you know, yeah. like I, I've mentioned, I'm fairly mechanically minded. Like I've made several mm-hmm. custom crap for Pit and I like systems and stuff, but this makes me experience it more like a barbarian. And that's not for everybody, but like it helps me think of it in a way that gets me back into the mind of the character a bit more. And so it, it changes my perspective a ton where the other campaign where I'm a player, like I... I'm a child wizard who is also a scribe. And so I'm kind of the loot hound of the party. You know, I'm trying to find magical stuff and I keep track of it all. And, and, and that, that fits that character because they don't really do a ton in most combats. So instead they're kind of getting stuff organized and, and helping it combat in a supplementary way of making sure everybody's equipped in an effective way and that, you know, resources are being used when they're useful. And so it's a very flipped side of like, the way I keep track of those items as a player has impacted the way I'm able to use them and aligns with the way I'm able to use them as a character. Um, and that, that helps me just, because otherwise I'm just going to automatically do what makes sense to me as, as a person. And so that, yeah. that layer in between allows me to interface in a way that makes, that, that is funner for me. Might not be fun for everybody and that, that's okay. Yeah. This same example, the, the resources example, how does your character deal with resources? Um, is the point in my other campaign that things became more serious um, because they got this rare, they got a bunch of ingots of this very rare and expensive metal. And we literally spent half of a session with everybody arguing about how to use these 
<laughs> like, do they sell them and get all the money? Do they take them and make weapons for everybody? Do they do X? Do they ha- do Y? There was a, a druid in town that offered to like transmute, like cop, make copies of the bars, but they had to like cough up a bunch of resources to make a, make an extra bar. So like, that was like the first time that they all realized like, oh, we like actually care about this imaginary brick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because they they were all like legitimately. Like, not mean-spirited arguing, but going, no, like, I think it would be more efficient to use them in this way, uh, and and just kind of went on and on, and then after that, I was like, How, how's everybody doing? <laughs> uh, we all, how are you all we, doing? You okay? <laughs> this was kind of the first uh, fight fight we've had as D&D characters. Does everybody understand that uh, it was the characters and like we're not actually fighting with each other right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and i think that's an important thing to bring up when stuff like that happens is like is everybody okay like is anybody actually mad at each other (laughs) do do you need to take a walk yeah we've done that several times in the one we're all in yes oh man it's Uh, it's, it's gotten heated (laughs) it's it's gotten intense and we've had to literally at the end of a session go all right like we are we all good because like (laughs) i kind of hate your character right now (laughs) and i'm trying not to hate you yeah yeah i under i understand why you made that decision and it's very good story-wise but i don't like it i I hate it (laughs) yeah uh can you guys think of any other examples of you know mason kind of kick-started the the like where you could start to pick inspiration from uh, to get more into role playing a character. Um, well, the inventory was really good because that brings up it brings up interparty dynamics that are uh, just typically kind of awkward. It's like, uh, do, do I actually trust you enough in real life to give me items when I need them? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's say, I would say my favorite way of exploring personality is thinking about um and, and role play is thinking about what my character actually likes to do aside from hoard items and, uh, you know, go on crazy-ass adventures. Like, well, what does my character do during her downtime? You know, does she have... What are her hobbies, rather? Does she like to collect anything? Um, and this is a multifaceted exercise i would say because it also gives me potential for bringing it bringing it up in uh conversation you know um like in game or you know perhaps when my character gets gets nervous before big combat you know she pulls out a lucky button or something and then you yeah, yeah it's just 
little things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, little details to your character that I like to just pin on, keep track of to explore roleplay possibilities. Yeah, I like... Um, I like the idea of, you know, picking a couple things in, like, different categories that your character's really passionate about. Like, you know, what's their favorite kind of food? What's their thing? What's the thing that they would like to do if they had a week off from adventuring? Um, yeah. What... Like, where would they like to live? <laughs> like, like, are they a city person? Are they a, you know, get lost in the woods? Or would they like to have a nice farm? Like, would they like to move upstate and start growing plums or something? You know, what, like, what's the ideal life for your character? Um, and And I think getting more into role play is like asking some of those like more background questions. Um, but, but I think the easier start than that is like, what is the most pressing drive for my character right now? What is their short term goal? Um, and, and just answering that question can, lead to a lot of role playing you know is is your character's goal to get money to get one of their siblings or parents or xyz out of jail because then that changes a lot about how your character's going to ask oh, or going to act sorry like are they go you're not going to take any pro bono missions anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> Goal, goals are huge. Uh, uh, I, just wanna... I, I, I think something something like that might be the easiest place to start is just pick something that your character is trying to get done in the next two, three months mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then let that influence how you play them. An, an idea I just had to kind of clarify, like, because goals are an extension of motivations. Mm -hmm. um, an idea I had, just had to, like, kind of help you think about just like like a thought experiment just like you know what what would my character do if to help you get um get in that mindset of like you know what what does my character want is like because i was going to say you know how would they go about convincing an npc but i think the more interesting question is if, if your character was an npc what would convince them to do something you know that they always wouldn't like say the classic you know we need to get into the the castle to do a sneaky thing so we have to bribe a guard you know, if your character is that guard, what is going to get people past them? Is it just, yeah, a stack of money because they're short mm -hmm. on cash? Is it, um... Hey, kitty. Look at these. Those are pretty awesome. They're so cute, huh? Yeah, where'd you get them? <laughs> I got them online. Nice. From Australia. I thought it was an apron at first. Yeah, I thought it was an apron as well, but no, oh, it's, it's, overalls. it's overalls, yo. It's <laughs> overalls, man. It's yeah. awesome. I wanted to show you. Thank you. Um... You know, like what, what would let, what would shift them from a goal? You know, so a guard is it trying to keep people from getting out of this castle? You know, is is gold going to let them do it? Is threatening threatening their life going to mm -hmm. do it? Do they actually even care? You know, what 
because that's the things that would get a, 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 in the hypothetical, you know, a guard to let people pass to shirk his job mm-hmm. and risk his job, you know, are things that would be important to that person. And, yeah. and, and the way they would handle that situation is going to kind of define who they are as a person. Yeah. If you, you know, if you go to flirt with the guard to distract him and he's in a very committed marriage. Yeah. Like persuasion shit. That's not, <laughs> that's not going to work on him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, you would have to literally charm him with magic or her with magic yep. to mm-hmm. say, okay, like, yeah, cheat on your, like, flirt with me and potentially cheat on your spouse or give that personification um, while the rest of the party sneaks by. But yeah. same thing for your character. Like, you know, how how would the other party members convince you to do something? Yeah, because that, that's going to be a, a very easy way to, you know, because you can take the, you know, I, my character wouldn't do that. And then you ask, okay, well, why wouldn't they do that? And through steps, you, you build a background pretty easily. You know, mm-hmm. why, why would flirting not work? Well, because I'm in a committed marriage. Well, then now I know a ton more about me because I have a huge motivation of like, well, I want my marriage to just continue to exist. I want to come home safely because mm-hmm. I have a marriage. I'm happy and I want to have money to provide for my family. I've got like all this stuff I just can now infer about my character based on the fact that they're in a happy, committed marriage. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something I didn't have before. Yeah. Before and so, so you're happily married. Why are you adventuring? Exactly. Why are you out with this ragtag group of people? <laughs> like, did you commit to go and go out for a year or two and get enough treasure to come back and have your family live happily? Yeah. And comfortably? Right. Like, and, and do you, are you sneaking off and writing letters and doing stuff? Like, why don't the party members know that you're married right now? Mm-hmm. Or do they? Like those cascading questions are my favorite way to build a backstory. Yes. It, 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 you know, the blank page problem, you try and write anything and the blank page just gives you nothing to work with. The second there's just like, my character would not flirt with it, would not take well to someone flirting with them. I can go from that and, and I have a direction now that I can move in until I run out and then eventually I'll find something else in what I've thought about and, and go in that direction. And then, then I am literally, you know, building enough of a person that I can, Mm-hmm. understand their perspective enough to make decisions as them. You know, I, I just want to make a note here. You don't you don't build a character for a D&D campaign in one sit down, no matter how heroic it is. Heavens no. You don't. Um, so anybody that feels like they have a looming session coming up um and they don't have a character made, or, or maybe they have a character stat block, but they don't have backstory, so it just feels like a, a you know, piece of wood that you don't really know what to do with. Um, just remember, D&D characters grow as the campaign progresses. Uh, they change, they uh mature so to speak as the game progresses and my personal experience says that you should start a campaign with as bare bones of characters you possibly can you know get the core done this is ultimately this you know these are the major personality traits of this character but then just let it grow from there uh because otherwise, you know, you'll, you'll, 
you sink a ton of time into building this backstory and then you, you'll actually play it you'll play that character and you know you may or may not like that backstory after the first session or the fifth session mm -hmm. and uh you kind of locked yourself in yeah i i'm a big proponent of changing evolving characters of not even just knowing that you're a druid with these stats and these weapons like in in my mind honestly that and like maybe a very generic goal like they want to make money they want to get more powerful they want to mm -hmm. do xyz they want to see more of the world like that is all i generally ask my players to come to the table with mm -hmm. because the rest we will figure out along the way especially if you're new to dnd &D, there is no point in diving in and writing a gigantic backstory if if you love to do that and that's your jam and that makes you feel awesome then go for it but don't feel pressured to do that um never ever because usually what ends up happening is you write a giant long backstory um and then everybody gets a session you start playing out your characters and then you realize that somebody either has a very similar backstory or maybe <laughs> as you're playing it out you're going oh like that doesn't seem as fun as i thought it would be and then you end up changing it anyway so i think david's point about yeah just having a bare bones idea is pretty good and then build like if you want to get better at role playing and be more engaged in what your character might actually do start building off of things that happen in session oh yeah. my character screamed at this person during this session why did they do that mm -hmm. what what led to that? Was there something in their past that it reminded them of? And then you can start filling out little bits and pieces at a time. Because um, it's it's more fun to watch for everybody else, too. Because um, sometimes it can be a little lackluster to get all of the details up front. You Don't, don't blow your load too soon on Black Backstory. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, that's... Nothing just kind of ruins the mood than someone coming you know, limp to every other session except the first one yeah um, <laughs> they, they, they but, started strong and then just had nothing to continue with uh another thing though this also works for npcs if you're gming like i cannot tell you how many times like you know you just you have an idea like this will make for a good scene you have an npc do something and then you're like you know at the end of the session you're taking your notes you're like okay here's some things to remember this NPC did this thing. Now let's find out why and see if I can turn mm -hmm. that into something I can use later. Sometimes it doesn't, and that's okay. But sometimes you're like, okay, now, like, like I had an NPC um, in a campaign I was running that uh, the party met as they entered this underground city and he tried to extort them for money, um, and that, that that was all he was. And as we continued playing, he just kind of ended up being he was like the first named NPC in the city. So he's the guy the players went to and they're like, hey, where's this thing? Or asking questions just about the city. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, he then shifted. I'm like, well, why does he know everything about the city that they need to know? Because it's convenient and I want that to be available. And he ended up being the, the kingpin of like a spy network. Because nothing feels better than th this whole time, the kingpin of the spy network has been under your nose the whole time. Like that, that fits, you know, the fiction genre. That's what 
you mm-hmm. want. It creates the twist and he, you he's want. He's checking the out the new players in town. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it just fits the narrative perfectly. So nice. I reused this NPC for something I wanted later based on, you know, they just kept showing up and he had information for him. So yeah, that, that's that a really good point. Because, uh, yeah, for me too, as a, as a GM, I so many times pull NPCs out of my ass um uh because david is really good at throwing curveballs at me in the middle of the session um because his character is a bit uh chaotic which which is super fun but there have been a lot of characters in this campaign that like i just came up with and then like if it seemed like the group wasn't really having it and wasn't that interested in them then then they were a background person you know somebody that was there and available but if it was mm-hmm. something that they latched onto, I would go, okay, they enjoyed that character. They'll probably go back and talk to that character again. So then, what is this? Then I can start figuring out what that character is about. But if you're just creating a blacksmith, then you literally, you know, maybe just need some mannerisms, some uh, like basic what would be available in their shop. But then if the party likes them and keeps coming back to them, that's when you put in the work. Cause if you put in the work ahead of time and then it doesn't go anywhere, they get backstabbed. Yeah. <laughs> they get backstabbed. <laughs> it wastes, it wastes your time a little bit. Yeah. So like, uh, I think there's oh. like, uh, especially with like critical role being so popular, it, a lot of times feels like everything in that campaign is planned so far ahead. But like, if you listen to how like Matt, Matthew Mercer talks about how he prepares, he prepares really broad strokes and in a lot of directions at once. And he is very crazy about writing stories and doing themes. But there are a lot of things that shift over time. Like he doesn't come up with everything at once. You don't have to have everything figured out. Um, as a GM, as a player, um, yeah. But and, and that ties back into role playing it because it's something you're going to get more comfortable and get better at the more you know about your character, and it doesn't all have to be there at the beginning. Yeah, um, because because for, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say conversely for DMs, uh, it gets much easier. The more the DMs know the characters, you know, it works both yeah. ways. <clears throat> yeah, for, for me, the the best part of any campaign or any game session is when I get to see the players enjoying playing their characters. Yes. Like those <laughs> those moments where where you see it just kind of click and they're really enjoying the exercise of being this other different person in adult fantasy adventure land, shooting magic around and flying around on shit and trying to kill monsters. Uh, it makes everything super fascinating. It's, it's so interesting. Um, one note I wanted to make really quick before we go to something else. <clears throat> While we're talking a little bit just like broader character stuff and campaign stuff and NPC stuff and also player character stuff. Um, <clears throat> for any sort of story, it, it always feels counterintuitive, but like, 
less is often more as far as number of characters go. If you can reuse the character for something, that means anybody, wh whether it's you as a GM or you as a player, and you're like bringing like an element of your backstory, um, everybody walking into that situation can bring in a lot of pre-built context about that NPC or even about your character that then brings depth to the scene as a result. Um, it, an example of a lighthearted version is, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender. Anytime something bad happens to somebody, it's the cabbage guy. <clears throat> There's just two things. One, it's funny because he's a recurring character. And two, you kind of get to see this little micro story of the cabbage guy moving around trying to just make <laughs> a living in the middle of this war. Mm -hmm. You know, and so reusing an NPC, like if you, if you know, if we're thinking broad strokes of a campaign, you know, um, and you're like, I kind of want to have this event happen. See if you have an NPC that could be part of that event or be part of the catalyst for the event or the person doing it. Because then that recurring character brings life to the world. Even though you have a few, rather than creating a new, new one, even though you have fewer total characters, the, the fact that you have fewer well-rounded characters makes it feel more alive than the fact that they're just seeing NPC number 83 yes, for the first time and then they're gone. Exactly. Give, you know, to give them something to uh, attach themselves to. It, it, it lets them create bonds as characters and as players to the other characters. Um, and that's something that also is good for figuring out how to roleplay is how do you react to other pl players and characters and NPCs? You know, say there's a, 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 the head of the city guard in the area you're in, and you guys work with him a lot. Maybe you don't like him, and that's okay. You know, but he's still a character that you have to interact with. So how are you going to interact with a character you don't like other than just killing the guy? Because he happens to have hit points that can be reduced to zero. You know, and so that, that then creates depth in this. There's, you know, this kind of occasional recurring conflict with the city guard guy who pops up. He doesn't like one member of the party, but recognizes the party, you know, is useful to the city. And it just creates this whole emergent story that everybody gets to engage in. Yeah. That otherwise wouldn't happen if you just put in a, a new random NPC that you made up. Yeah. And it makes your your players think you're a genius. Because <laughs> they think you had a plan, you know, just like Matt yeah. Mercer, it looks like he had it planned out. Mm -hmm. He didn't. But they yeah. don't know. <laughs> it, and... Like tying it back into role play, it makes your job as a GM role playing so much easier because oh, so you easier. already know how this character acts, what they're thinking about, what they're up to. So you don't have to build a whole nother thing. Like you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time, basically. Um, because, yeah, uh, characters that come and go like don't add an, a lot to the story you know unless unless it's like you know they were a tragic death or something but it's not going to feel as tragic if they don't know them well a know? tragic death is a classic one like you, you know you want this climactic scene to feel real someone's going to die there have it be an npc they already know as opposed to some mm -hmm. random person because yeah. then it has weight you know that character that they liked is gone <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, I think that is a good way to pull players into role-playing is yes. setting up scenarios that even if their character doesn't care about that much, the player probably does because mm -hmm. they, they've met this character so many times. Um, I, I, think, I think that's an interesting 
point to bring up and, and something that sometimes I struggle with. Um, and in our campaign, I've honestly done a lot of uh, retconning with NPC backstories because you guys are still in the beginning village where we started, <laughs> but now we're level what? 14? 14. Um, hey, we'll get out eventually. <laughs> which has been really, really interesting. Cause like I initially designed a lot of these people as like, you know, they'll probably go do something else or like be in charge of this place by the time they're level 10. Um, mm-hmm. so like, what does that look like? But now, like, I've literally just like decided, uh, these people are going to be more powerful than they've been letting on. Or, uh, this person is going to be able to step up to this role. Um, and, and not that any of them could necessarily match your guys's characters in like raw damage output. Um, but to make them still relevant to the story and not just awkwardly introduce a whole new cast of characters in the power <laughs> structure of this village that you guys know well. Um, I had to kind of rework how those characters work to, and that helps me keep like the role playing consistent because you guys know them, you guys have history with them, you guys know how they might react so you can make a better attempt at convincing them or cajoling them or coercing them. It, it also d- didn't help your situation as far as power level, that literally every high-level druid died on the same day. <laughs> yeah. The same day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good that times. Did, Good times. That did leave a bit of a power vacuum that I'm still deciding yeah. what is going to get sucked into that. Yeah, like, it, it you know, role-playing is important to think about as a GM as well as as a player, like, if you want your players to role play, you're gonna have to do it too. They need someone to role play with. Mm-hmm. They can't do it in a vacuum. I mean, and so exactly. Making your NPCs distinct is important, and that that's why it's so useful to make to bring them back. You know, it, it's, it's so much easier. Role play. Uh, I harken back to the beginning of the of the conversation when yeah. uh, we were saying. If you find just a group of randos and you, you start a campaign with them, it's going to be super difficult for anybody to actually start getting into their characters and roleplay. Well, uh, I would say <clears throat> equally, even if you're with a group of friends, um, if everybody's like hesitant to roleplay, you know, it's going to be super hard and get progressively more difficult for one person to finally be like, okay, screw it, I'm talking in character. So, you know, if, if I guess to the audience, if you're in a group like that uh, and you want to roleplay, step up to the plate and just be like, all right, this is how we're roleplaying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, just, just just dive in. If, if you're a player and you want to do more of that and you're in, with, like, a newer group and it's just an area you want to explore... Um, that one's tough because you're not, you know, kind of, you're not running the session because the GM, you know, they're, they're in charge of kind of the pacing and the direction and flow of it. But as a person, you're able to say, hey, can we like take a minute and, you know, the class one is talking to the shopkeeper. I, I never find talking with shopkeepers particularly interesting personally. But, um, you know, as you're like moving forward, you can be like, hey, could we have like 
you know, a, a non-combat session, you know, because typically that's where things are going to fall. But if, you know, if it's like an, an intrigue arc, a short one, you know, where it's like solving a mystery or whatever, that means you're going to have to talk with people. That's mm-hmm. going to open up the floor for role play with those people. But it doesn't mandate it either. It gives you the opportunity to interact with NPCs in a way that is meaningful towards achieving the goals of the game. Because it is still a game and there are goals there. Without forcing your hand if you're at a loss as to how to interact with this person. Because you can kind of just lean on assorted skills and mechanics to resolve the situation if you have to as well. And so that's a way to introduce it as an opportunity due to the nature of what you're doing in the game giving you that space is, is important to do because you know if you're just dungeon diving and you're you're hex crawling and, and going through you know uh castle greyhawk unless you stop to talk to a monster which also feel free to do and hopefully your gm will catch on <laughs> what you're doing the number of times that i've had my players offer uh, some random monster they hope is sapient rights in the city they're in is Almost the size never thinks they backstabbed. Probably related. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't think I've ever played. I've, I don't think I've ever ran a campaign where the party did not have some sort of pet or henchman or yeah. or something for some amount of time, um, because that that is an interesting dynamic you can do in role playing games that you can't do in video games. Uh, yeah, you you can, but it's like more scripted. I think that's what happens so often is it's just like I've always wanted to be able to just say hi to the bear instead of have to fight the bear, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's it's an inherent like I never got to do this thing. I'm so excited to do it. Yeah. And as a GM and as a player, that's a way you can do it as well. Like henchmen are not just bound to do whatever they want. You know, if you're like, hey, kick down the door, Johnny, and Johnny's like. Dude, I looked through the window. There's a freaking dragon in there. I am not kicking down that door. Uh, <laughs> you know? Okay, hold on. Emperor's new group reference. <laughs> yeah, I've been turned into a cow. Can I go home? <laughs> yeah. No, like, no, she's like, break down that door. Oh, yes. The door that's in carved mahogany. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, little things like that. Like, no, I'm not going to break down a beautifully handcrafted door. No way, dude. <laughs> you know? All, all no of that is roleplay. All of it's in the wheelhouse. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Roleplay is. Um, I don't. I don't play D anD D without roleplay. That's a personal choice. But my viewpoint is that you know, D anD D is the greatest game on the planet because it's it promotes roleplay. You know, I, I can I can play any number of of other systems to, to play combat. And sure, the combat's amazing; it's fun. But um, yeah, I keep coming back to it over all uh, any anything else, really, because um, role play, good role play is cocaine. <laughs> it's it's just it, it leaves you so satisfied afterwards because um, mm-hmm. it, it really it really I guess uh, emphasizes the work you put into your character the work yeah. the group has put into the campaign 
you know it, it emphasizes all of that and um i don't mm-hmm. know it's it's good stuff yeah i think I, I think the major difference i always hear about um you know role playing versus playing video games versus playing board games versus you know other uh like more creative uh or fantasy adjacent group activities is you know the amount of times we refer to hey do you remember the time that you did this Mm -hmm. instead of do you remember the time that pit or lestaria or theo (laughs) did this um because like you know during those sessions we are these characters for a bit because of the depth of role-playing we have um and and i've seen that happen in you know very dramatic high tension campaigns but also in very lighthearted and just fun goofy campaigns where you know for those couple hours or in our case you know too many hours um like we we are these characters for a bit um and i think that is like really cool that humans can do that i've been developing like government structures for different countries in my world which is like the nerdiest fucking thing on the planet but (laughs) while i've been doing that i've been set i'm a very idealistic person and like you know usually an optimist and that is evident in how I create all of these governments because then I look at them and I'm like, oh, this would be great. And then I'm like, but people exist. Yeah. Uh, and so then I have to go back through this organization I just designed and then role play my way through it as selfish people, idealistic people, people with different opinions, and then see how it would get gummed up. Um, and that's been like really interesting and difficult. Um, to like build this thing that I'm like, oh, that's like a really interesting government structure. Um, because the one I made is is like a representative democracy. Um, but they set up different groups. So the Senate is made up of the biggest group is a hundred randomly selected citizens, <laughs> and they can't. But that group has its own has a can make rulings on their own rules for how those are selected um, and how long they can serve in terms. They just can't serve for more than 10 years in a hundred years. Um, and, and then there's another group that is like military heroes. There's another group that's artisans. There's another group that is representatives from guilds and businesses. And there, there's another group that's representatives from villages and towns and cities. And each group has a directive from, like, the Constitution of this is the objective of your group. You can have this many members. They cannot serve more than... No one member can serve more than 10 years in 100 years. You get to make up whatever rules make sense to you. And so then role-playing through that and saying, how does that get all messed up? Because that's very idealistic getting a bunch of opinions from different strata of a nation. But it's not going to end up like that. It won't. No, it won't. That's bullshit. No. Yeah. I think someone in the ruling council would change that 10-year, 100-year rule eventually. Yeah. But but to for that rule to be changed, 
the whole Senate has to vote on it, which is made up of all these different groups. It has to be like all six groups voting on it, and obviously they're going to look at everybody else sideways. Also note on that one, though, the the system you designed for that government itself lends itself easily to role-playing, though, Mm -hmm. because you can just pick as opposed to, you know, an individual in the entire city. Like, okay, what does the kind of commonplace people want to do? How would they try and do it? Mm-hmm. And then you can find, you know, key people that try and exploit the system. But as broad yeah. strokes, when you're looking through that history of the world, you, you can just say, okay, what do the artisans want? The size of their Senate at that time doesn't necessarily matter because you're able to just look at, you know, this demographic mm-hmm. and role play through that. Yeah, and that, that goes back to what we were saying. Start simple and get more complicated yeah. when it becomes important because I spent too much work probably thinking about it because my party's not going to run into that system unless they go to the capital city next session, which I would be impressed. Um, <laughs> but we just asking a, yeah, yeah. asking a few simple <laughs> questions you know, at least gets my mind in that direction and will make it easier to role play to to think about. 